Hello, and welcome to another episode of Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 64. Today, we're diving deep into the mysterious and notorious world of crime, with a focus on a woman who left an interesting mark on American history, the one and only Ma Barker. Ma Barker, often portrayed as the matriarch of the infamous Barker Carpus gang during the early 20th century, has become an enigmatic figure shrouded in myth and legend. Was she a criminal mastermind orchestrating daring heists and ruthless crimes? Or was she an unwitting accomplice caught in the crossfire of her son's criminal pursuits? In today's episode, we peel back the layers of Ma Barker's life, exploring the events that led her into the world of organized crime, her role within the gang, and the sensationalized accounts that turned her into a symbol of crime. Join us as we try and separate fact from fiction and attempt to uncover the truth behind the woman who became a household name during the tumultuous era of the Great Depression. As we step back in time to the early 1930s, we'll find ourselves in the midst of an era defined by contrasts. The Roaring Twenties had given way to the somber reality of the Great Depression. It was a period where the rhythm of jazz still echoed in the air, yet the nation was gripped by economic hardship and social upheaval. The 1930s marked a time of profound change, and the stock market crash of 1929 had sent shockwaves through the American economy. Unemployment soared, businesses closed down, and the American dream felt like a distant memory for many. And in the midst of economic turmoil, the government implemented ambitious programs under President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, aiming to alleviate suffering and rebuild the nation. These initiatives would lay the groundwork for social security, labor rights, and public infrastructure that would shape the future of America. But in this episode, we're going to shift our focus to a darker side of the 1930s, the rise of outlaw gangs, This was the era of Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, and, like we're going to talk about today, the notorious Barker Carpus gang. The Great Depression not only brought economic hardship, but also a surge in organized crime. Fueled by desperation and a sense of lawlessness, outlaw gangs roamed the country, capturing the imaginations of the public and striking fear into the hearts of law enforcement. Bonnie and Clyde, perhaps the most infamous duo of the time, crisscrossed the central United States leaving a trail of bank robberies and violence in their wake. Their romanticized image, portrayed in newspapers and sensationalized in movies, would turn them into anti-heroes for some, and public enemies for others. Meanwhile, figures like John Dillinger, the public enemy number one, became a symbol of audacity and defiance. Dillinger's bank heists and daring jailbreaks kept the nation on edge as he managed to elude capture time and time again. The Barker Carpus gang, allegedly led by the infamous Ma Barker and her sons, became a symbol of ruthless criminal enterprise. Operating primarily in the Midwest, the gang engaged in kidnappings, bank robberies, and other violent crimes, earning them a spot on the FBI's most wanted list. The clash between these outlaw gangs and law enforcement would reach a fever pitch during the 1930s. The FBI, led by J. Edgar Hoover, intensified efforts to bring these criminals to justice, creating the era's own brand of celebrity criminals and crime fighters. To truly understand the complex figure of Ma Barker, we have to journey back to her early years. She was born as Arizona Donnie Clark on October 8, 1873, in Ashgrove, Missouri. 
It was later that she would become infamous as Ma Barker, the alleged matriarch of the notorious Barker Carpus gang. But she was raised in rural poverty, and young Arizona had a challenging start to life. Her family struggled to make ends meet, and the harsh realities of the late 19th century meant that the opportunities for a better life were limited, especially for a girl from modest means. As she grew older, she sought escape from the monotony of small-town life, eventually meeting and marrying George Barker, a farm laborer, in 1892, setting the stage for a life that would take unexpected turns. The Barkers moved frequently, attempting to find stability in an ever-changing landscape. Arizona, now known as Kate, would have four sons, Herman, Lloyd, Arthur, and Fred. And the challenges of the early 20th century, from World War I to the Prohibition era, also created an environment that was ripe for criminal activity. Ma's sons gravitated to a life of crime as they grew older, evidenced by Herman's highway robbery conviction in Joplin, Missouri in 1915. And over the course of the following several years, Herman and his three brothers started hanging out with other criminals at Tulsa's old Lincoln Forsyth School, where they would join the Central Park Gang. Ma wouldn't punish her sons for their illegal activities nor did she seem to try and dissuade them from continuing. According to Wade for AllThat'sInteresting.com, Ma was known to often say, quote, If the good people of this town don't like my boys, then the good people know what to do. During their lives, all four of Ma's sons would serve significant periods of time behind bars. And she would employ every tactic known to man to try and free her sons from prison. In the book Ma Barker, Ennis and Kazanjan claimed that she would scream, cry, write letters to parole boards, or even as J. Edgar Hoover claimed, pay the police to get rid of evidence. These dramatic displays would frequently result in the termination of sentences, or at the very least, a significant reduction. By 1928, the three surviving Barker brothers were incarcerated. Fred was housed in a Kansas state prison, Lloyd was incarcerated in a federal prison located in Kansas, and Arthur was incarcerated in an Oklahoma state penitentiary. It was at that same period when Ma would divorce her husband and would endure extreme poverty while her sons were in jail from around 1928 to 1931. Alvin Carpus and Fred Barker would get to know one another while serving time at the Kansas state penitentiary in Kansas. Once they were released, they'd be caught once more in June of 1931 in Tulsa, Oklahoma for the theft of some valuables. But shortly after his incarceration, Barker would move to Oklahoma, where he managed to get out of jail. Carpus would be sentenced to four years in jail after entering a guilty plea to burglary on September 10, 1931. But after being freed, Carpus would move to Missouri to live with Barker and his mother, Ma Barker, who at that point was sharing a rented farm with Arthur Dunlop. United by a common goal and a desire for wealth and notoriety, the Barker Carpus gang was born. The gang would quickly gain a reputation for its daring and ruthless criminal activities. Bank heists, kidnappings, and violent encounters with law enforcement marked their criminal career. The Barker Carpus gang was not only skilled in executing well-planned heists, but adept at evading capture making them a constant thorn in the side of law enforcement. Fred and Alvin would loot a department store in West Plains, Missouri on December 18, 1931. After leaving the scene, they were confronted by Sheriff Kelly the next day at a garage while fixing two flat tires. Fred would fire four shots at the sheriff, who was instantly killed when two of the bullets struck him in the heart. 
The incident would mark the beginning of a string of more violent crimes that would include kidnapping, murder, and robbery. Additionally, Ma Barker was acknowledged by law authorities as a gang collaborator for the first time. They created a wanted poster with a $100 reward for her capture. Now, following their release from jail, Arthur and Lloyd would join Fred and Alvin in September of 1932. After moving to Chicago, the gang didn't stay long, since Alvin did not want to work for Al Capone. Due to St. Paul, Minnesota's reputation as a sanctuary for wanted felons, the gang decides to relocate there. The dishonest head of police in the city, Thomas Brown, would provide the gang with protection and advice as they carried out their most notorious crimes there, including bank robberies and kidnapping. The gang would rob Minneapolis's third Northwestern National Bank in December 1932, but the crime resulted in a brutal shootout with police that would claim the lives of two officers and one civilian. The gang would succeed in escaping, and their notoriety as a violent group of outlaws expanded. After the bank robbery, the group would successfully kidnap and ransom two local businessmen. The first, William A. Ham Jr., president of the Theodore Ham Brewing Company, who was at his St. Paul, Minnesota office one warm July evening in 1933. He had stepped out of the building when four random people grabbed him and, th and threw him in the back of their car. It would be the Barker Carpus gang who abducted and held him for ransom of more than $100,000. After being transported to Wisconsin, Ham was made to sign four ransom notes. He was subsequently taken to a hiding place in Illinois, where he was detained as a prisoner until the ransom was paid. After the funds were transferred, Ham was set free in the vicinity of Minnesota. This case would mark the very first successful application of the silver nitrate method to remove latent prints from forensic evidence. Researchers had recently considered using the fact that sweat or perspiration was rich in sodium chloride, and that was present in invisible fingerprints. Edward George Bremer Jr. was a rich banker who was the target of the second kidnapping by the Barker Carpus gang. He was taken on January 17, 1934, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Three weeks later, after his family paid the $200,000 ransom, Bremer was freed. While unable to pinpoint the offenders, he could offer a wealth of information. And the discovery of Arthur Dock or Dock Barker's fingerprint on an empty gas can discovered by a local police officer along the kidnapping route was a significant breakthrough. Barker's brother Fred, Carpus, Harry Campbell, Fred Gouts, Russell Gibson, Volney Davis, and other associates were soon connected to the crime. Following the Bremner kidnapping, the gang would dissolve, with several people fleeing throughout the country. Some even fled to Cuba. To hide their fingerprints and identities, three even went so far as to get plastic surgery. Others would split the shares of the ransom and try and find some way to launder their money. Criminals like John Dillinger, Bonnie, and Clyde Pretty Boy Floyd and Babyface Nelson had already been taken down by the FBI in 1934. As a result, the Barker Carpus gang would become their top priority. Fred Barker and Campbell would check into an El Commodore hotel in Miami towards the end of September 1934 using fake names. Fred's mother, Ma, who had a reputation for supporting her criminal sons, would also come along. The hotel manager informed Fred that he could rent a friend's cottage on a neighboring lake when they inquired about a quiet place to live. They would all move in November. But investigators from the FBI would track Doc Barker to a Chicago residence in December. 
Doc would be taken into custody without any issues on January 8th, and Russell Gibson's associates were also captured later that evening. Gibson would attempt to fight while heavily armed and donning a bulletproof vest, but would end up being fatally injured. Agents would discover a lot of ammunition and lethal weapons during their search of his apartment. Moreover, they discovered a map of Florida that showed the lake circled where Ma, Fred, and Campbell were staying. On January 16, 1935, just about 5 in the morning, agents under the command of Earl Connolly would surround the Barkers' home and demand their surrender. They wouldn't receive a reply. After 15 minutes, they gave another warning. Once again, no response. So agents would fire tear gas grenades at the house's windows after another request for surrender and and further silence. All right, go ahead was yelled by someone within the home, and then machine gun fire erupted from the upper window. More gunshots would burst from the home as the agents began to return fire. Agents would return fire after hearing sporadic gunfire from the residents for the next hour. But by 10.30 a.m., all gunfiring had stopped. It was then discovered that Ma and Fred Barker were both dead. The front bedroom contained both of their bodies. Ma had only been shot once, but Fred's body was covered in bullets. They found a machine gun located at Ma Barker's left hand and a 45 caliber automatic handgun discovered next to Fred's body. Two 45 automatic pistols, two Thompson submachine guns, a 33 Winchester rifle, a 380 cooled automatic pistol, a Browning 12 gauge automatic shotgun, and a Remington 12 gauge pump shotgun were among the firearms found in the home, according to the FBI. The house also had an automatic handgun clip, a variety of machine gun drums, and a lot of ammunition. But the supposed brains behind the gang, Elvin Carpus, continued to elude capture. During an appropriations hearing in April 1936, Tennessee Senator Kenneth McKellar called Director J. Edgar Hoover on the carpet to voice his disapproval of his request for further funding. Director Hoover would swear that he would be a part of the next big arrest when the senator questioned him about the number of arrests he had personally made. Later that month, word that Carpus had been found reached Hoover, who would take off for New Orleans that evening and join the waiting raid squad to camp out outside the criminal's home on Canal Street. Shortly after 5 p.m. on May 1st the following day, Carpus and two other people would leave the apartment and enter a Plymouth coupe. Hoover gave the order and police moved in. The director would then give another order to handcuff Carpus. But strangely, no one seemed to have handcuffs. So one agent took off his tie and would bound Elvin Carpus's hands. Within hours, it was Hoover bringing Carpus back to St. Paul where he would plead guilty to the ham kidnapping and eventually sentenced to life in prison. Carpus would be released from prison in the late 1960s after stints at Alcatraz and other facilities. And it was when he was living in Spain that allegedly Carpus would overdose on sleeping pills, which led to his death on August 26, 1979. But before his death, Elvin would write his autobiography, The Elvin Carpus Story, published in 1971. And in it, he'd write specifically about Ma Barker. He would say, quote, The most ridiculous story in the annals of crime is that Ma Barker was the mastermind behind the Carpus Barker gang. The legend only grew after her death to justify how she was slaughtered by the FBI. She wasn't a leader of criminals or even a criminal herself. There's not one police photograph of her or set of fingerprints taken while she was alive. 
She knew we were criminals, but her participation in our careers was limited to one function. When we traveled together, we moved as mother and her sons. What could look more innocent? It would be after Ma's death that films like Ma Barker's Killer Brood, 1960, Bloody Mama from 1970, and Public Enemies from 1996 would frequently depict Ma as the gang's leader and mastermind. But most historians consider this to be fiction, and others have questioned whether she really took part in the shootout at all that claimed her life. According to Carpus, that story was promoted by J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, which at that point was only getting started to help explain away his agent's assassination of an elderly woman. Ma Barker was dubbed the most vicious, dangerous, and resourceful criminal brain of the last decade by Hoover after her death. Additionally, he asserted that she relished the lifestyle that resulted from her son's crimes and purportedly had a string of lovers. There's little evidence to prove that Ma Barker was the gang's leader, despite the fact that Ma's children were murderers and that the Barker Carpus gang did go on a rampage of robberies, kidnappings, and other crimes between 1930 and 1935. Even though there's no proof that she was involved in the planning of these crimes, she was undoubtedly aware of the gang's activities, and even provided assistance to them before and after, making her an accomplice. Since all the players in this story are dead, we'll probably never know if Ma Barker was just a mother who loved her sons, or one of the most notorious criminal masterminds to ever live. And with that, we'll conclude our journey into the captivating world of Ma Barker and her infamous criminal offspring. While we'll never know Ma Barker's true nature or role in the gang's criminal exploits, we do know that the Barker Carpus gang left a lasting impact on American criminal history. And the pursuit of justice and the relentless efforts to bring them to justice marked an era that showcased the struggle between law enforcement and this notorious underworld. As we bid farewell to Ma Barker and her notorious gang, we're reminded that history is often shaped by complex characters, whose stories are equally fascinating and troubling. Join us in our future episodes as we continue to unravel the mysteries behind some of history's most infamous figures. Please don't forget to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, if you've got any feedback for us or a suggestion for an upcoming episode, you can reach us on social media, on Instagram at Historical True Crime Pod, or Facebook at Historical True Crime Podcast. You can also shoot us an email at historicaltruecrimepod at gmail.com. And I'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.